we are looking at the book of Acts and looking at how it began in the early days. Because we are in a restart period, we have experienced something that is honestly with very little precedent in all of Christian history in 2,000 years. Only in wartime and some of the plagues in the, in the Middle Ages was, was the ability of the church to gather ever hindered like it is now. And if you'd have told me uh, 40 years ago when I'm starting ministry that there would have been a time where much of the church in modern America would uh, suddenly evaporate 40 to 60%, I would have just thought that impossible. But here we are. And I want you to know that I'm not discouraged. I am, I am excited about what God has in store because God is faithful and God has got this and God is able. So how it began matters in the book of Acts because it tells us how it begins in us. And if we will take seriously the Word of God and we will go here and read the Word of God and listen to the Word of God and live the Word of God, then what God did then we will see God do now in a new, fresh way, and you're going to be able to recognize the, the outlines of what God is doing. It'll look different because Jesus never did the same thing twice, and, and it's not going to look exactly the same, but, but you're going to see the, the, uh, the themes, you're going to see the power, you're going to see the work, and you're going to mostly see the same results that you saw in the book of Acts. On two occasions, after the resurrection, Jesus gave the church its marching orders. In Matthew 28, the scripture says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, in verse 16, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, which means they fell on their faces in awe, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, as he is to us today. That is what he is doing right now. Jesus came to them and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You need to hear the confidence of that statement. We as a church need to live in the power and in the authority of that statement. Instead of being namby-pamby whiners about what culture is doing to us, about what we don't have or boo-hoo, what some, you know, uh, civic thing has done, that. Nowhere is in the heart, spirit, words, teachings of Jesus Christ, that we are limited by what anybody else does. The only thing that limits us is our faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, I want you to know that I have all authority in heaven and on earth. All of it belongs to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Help people find and follow me. Show them who I am. Tell them my story. Live my life. Let my faith be shining in a dark world like, like a, a, a brilliant light so that people can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's what I want you to do as you're making disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Give them a starting line of faith. Call them to the starting line and ask them to commit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Don't just walk away. Walk with. And then Jesus gave us this promise which applies to us now in this time and in our situation. And surely, and know this, and be assured 
I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus for the second time gave the church its marching orders with as much clarity as, as comes from the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This power is not a, an odd for God kind of a power. This is a power that's going to make you like me. You're going to look like me, sound like me, love like me. You're going to value the least like I do. You're going to be patient like I am. You're going to be extravagant in grace like I am. Uh, people are going to, going to catch uh, glimpses of me through you. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's not in your own strength or your own abilities. It's all about me and all the authority that's been given to me. So you, church, are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there it is. We now know. And when we ask the question, what drove the early church? The answer is the joyful power of Jesus' resurrection story. That was the fuel that ignited the launch of the early church. That's what got the early church fired up. You see, the reality is that the focus of, of the church from the beginning was never on robes and rituals and rings. It wasn't about fighting over endless theology and who's right or righter than the other. It wasn't about politics. It was never, ever about gaining earthly power or even building Christian nations. In the Gospels, Jesus did not talk about Christian nations. He talked about the coming of an invisible kingdom that expands the reign of God one life at a time as every believer comes to faith in Christ, the kingdom of God comes in them and the will of God is done through them. Through every broken human life fully surrendered to him, the kingdom that is invisible comes to him and the kingdom is invisible and it, and it, and it comes and goes with our obedience. Jesus asks Peter, who do people say I am? And in one moment, Peter has one of the greatest revelations of the kingdom that anybody has ever seen. You are the Christ, son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, which means what? The Holy Spirit gave you that. A couple of scriptures later, Jesus is telling about uh, the, the unexpected plan of God. Uh, involving a crucifixion and a death. And, and Peter said, never, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus said to this same one who a moment ago was the epitome of the kingdom of God, but who left faith in that moment in his next thought, get thee behind me, Satan. So the kingdom of God is strong and is powerful. And in Matthew 6.33, it's what we're to seek above everything else in life, but it is, but it is a by-faith kingdom through surrendered human lives. And so... By the power of the Holy Spirit, the church grew. And the focus in the book of Acts is on the growth of the early church from 11 discouraged disciples to an empowered missional movement that changed the course of all of human history because people believed in what they believed to the point they were willing to die for it. They're willing to then live for it and run for it. How about us? How about the rest of us? 
How willing are you to live the Jesus story? How much do you believe it? Have you looked around at the modern, quote, church and, and kind of dumbed down your faith and just said, well, I'll do nothing like everybody else is doing nothing. I'll leave it to the professionals, those people we call clergy. I don't even know what that means. You know, people who've been to that their seminary school. We made all that stuff up. Jesus gave us our orders. And he didn't just give us our orders. He gave you the driving energy of your life if you're willing to receive it. The core message of this early church was all about life and death and faith. We are all dead in sin, but we come to life through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the center of all of life. He is the center of salvation. Jesus Christ is the center of history, and he wants to be the centerpiece of your life and your living. And the proof of his message and of the extravagant claims he made is the resurrection. Jesus was dead and now he's alive. So what drove the early church? The joyful power of the resurrection story. They couldn't get over it. They couldn't get away from it. They believed it. It inspired them. It wasn't some faint, you know, distant buzz from the past. It was, it was a life-changing reality that fueled their every movement. And so the question becomes, what should be our focus as a church? As we come through COVID, as, as we uh, relaunch, as we recover our faith, as we continue to deal with the uncertainties of, of, of you know, the virus and, and all of its impact, and, and, uh, and as we you know, have developed new habits that don't include church and gathering, where, where the scriptures clearly tell us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's something about being together that is necessary for you. I was talking with somebody the other day who... Um, you know, is out and about and, and engaged with other people. And, uh, and they said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not comfortable coming back to church yet. And I know this person well. And again, church is not a building. This is church. This building is only technically the church when we're gathered in it. You got that? We're the church. But I, I talked to this person whom I, I know well, and I just simply said, so you'll go to Walmart. You'll go to eat. You'll go other gatherings where there's a lot of people. But somehow this gathering, which has no more people than the other places you'll gather, you're not comfortable going. I said, there's something wrong with that. And I said, the other thing wrong with that thought is it's all about you. And, and it completely misses how God might want to use you to talk to somebody, love somebody, serve somebody when you're here. And we'll leave that as a pregnant thought and see where it comes with that person. So what should our focus be as a church? Woe is me on left-wing, right-wing politics? What should our focus be as a church? On what we don't have, what we can't do, what people have done to us? Or maybe we should open the Bible, the Word of God. Maybe we should look back to a, a political environment that was horrendous, 
you know, Jerusalem was occupied by a foreign army, and yet the gospel thrived in the midst of it. Persecution came, and the gospel grew. In the book of Acts later, we'll see that, that, that literally people began to die for the gospel, and they got scattered everywhere around, chased out of Jerusalem. You know what happened? Everywhere they went, like a dandelion, blown in the wind, everywhere they went, scattered, losing their homes and, and, and losing some of their lives along the way, the gospel was replanted and it grew everywhere. In all things, God works for good. His good cannot be stopped. And so our focus uh, as a church should be telling Jesus' story and inviting others in. That's it. That's the focus of your life. That's the reason why we are here is to tell others that they are wanted and welcomed and that they are valued. And all of this comes from a conviction that the resurrection is the fundamental answer to the human condition and the human problem. Our biggest problem is death. Not only the death that we, that we will experience once that will be the cessation of our breathing and the beating of our heart, but it is the death that invades all of life from, from the, the moment of our birth. It's the disappointments in relationship. It's the distance we feel between the closest people we have on earth. It is the lonely in a crowd. It is the spiritual reality of separation from God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I once was dead and now I am alive. That is our pathway. It is the, uh, more than a metaphor, it is, it is the literal story of our way back. It is the power of possibility. It is an invitation. The resurrection is everything. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, after Jesus ascends in heaven, right after giving these words, the disciples choose a, a, a twelfth to replace Judas. And here in verse 22 is the key to it all. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You can read in, in Matthew, uh, or Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12, uh, and it tells the whole story about, about um, you know, the, the disciples kind of reeling from the loss of Judas and, 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 and reaching back to scriptures after this. And so Peter gathers them together and... Um, and, and told this story in, in verse 20. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, speaking of Judas, that there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. And verse 21 is a very interesting story, and what I'm about to say is Drew, not necessarily the Lord. So I, I don't say that often, but I, I do say that, you know, and I, I'm, so I'm, you know, you're supposed to read the scriptures, but here's an I wonder if. The scripture says, therefore, it is necessary to choose um, one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us, beginning from John's witness uh, when Jesus was taken from us, for one of these must be a witness of his resurrection. Some translation says, therefore, it seems necessary to choose. There's no reference in there of God actually telling them to choose a twelfth. They just did it because it seem necessary, and, and because they were trying to fulfill the scriptures. But if you fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 9, there's this fellow called Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. So I want you to get that what they were looking for was the core driver of the story. 
the nuclear reactor to the aircraft carrier, the resurrection of Jesus. We got to choose somebody who's experienced the power of the resurrection and the joy of that death to life story. We got to get somebody who doesn't just have head knowledge, but they've experienced Jesus alive. Their life has been changed. So they choose two guys. They cast lots for them, and I'm not putting down either of these men. Uh, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. They, they cast lots for them, and they chose Matthias, and we never hear from either of them again. But the 12th disciple may literally have just been Saul. And how did Saul experience the resurrection? Well, like you and I, must. Well, Pastor Drew, I've never been, you know... Uh, blinded by light and, 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 and my life, you know, kind of, kind of wrecked. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have. Stop getting hung up on, on the literal because God isn't into programming his love. His love is going to look like um, different every single moment in every single story. Just like Jesus never healed anybody the same way twice, he is never uh, going to, to do the same thing uh, twice, but he will do the, the, um, the work of it. It will be a, a picture, a portrait. It will be a story that you can recognize. And, and when Jesus appears to Saul and, and asks him a question, you know, it is, it is this profound experience of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. And I'm, I'm experiencing him, and I'm, I'm through faith believing what he has to say, and now I'm surrendering. And really, it's including all of us in the, in the story of the resurrection key to our living. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've experienced the resurrection. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a, I once was dead and now I'm alive point in, in your journey. There was a recognition that, that everything around us is dead and, and, and we needed something more. There was, there was hope that was born. There was, there was love. There was a new direction in your life, a different voice you're listening to other than your own. And his name was Jesus. And the power of Jesus' resurrection story just drove the church in the book of Acts and they could never get away from it. The joy of it all was the key to everything. And that should be our focus as well. Simply telling Jesus' story and inviting others in. Guys, I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm your shepherd, and I thank you for the grace that you've allowed me to be your shepherd for this season. And I'm trying to prepare you for your final exam at the judgment. And I am telling you that I believe at the judgment that God is going to judge our lives based upon how much we were willing to, to live Jesus. And to love so well that other people saw him. And to believe so big in hard circumstances that people could tell we were relying on Jesus and not ourselves. Or did you make excuses about what you didn't know? Because you see the reality, really, and this is not a, a cheap shot or guilt... If Jesus has changed our story and joy, we're going to tell others about it. That joy is going to come out. 
And for not telling other people about Jesus, it's because, A, either we didn't know we're supposed to, and I want to correct that today uh, from here on in, to know that, that you are, you know, your whole purpose in life is, is to live this new resurrection life of yours and invite other people to experience it too because you don't want anybody to die. Until every man and woman and boy and girl that you ever meet has a growing personal relationship with Jesus, until everyone uh, around you that you love or, or need to love is alive and not in, in eternal danger, your work isn't finished. Again, you've heard me tell the story. Imagine on a winter's night, you're driving along uh, Riverside in the car and you hit a patch of ice and the car slides off in the, in the cold night into the river and turns upside down and sinks to the bottom of the river. And you have five family members in the car, and, and, and you, you get out, the window's open next to you, uh, the door flies open, and you're able to get out as the car is upside down, headlights shining under the water, and you get to the shore, and you make your way there, freezing on the shore, and one of your kids makes his way dog paddling to the shore. What do you do? Well, I guess we can start over. Got two of five, that's not bad. Nothing I can do. Is that what love would do? Dads, is that what you would do for your kids? Not a chance. You're going to die trying to get everybody out. And when will you stop trying? When everybody's out and not before. Guys, everybody isn't out. We've made church about a lot of things that it isn't about. And I'm just telling you, again, church is not buildings. Church is, is the body of Christ as we are incorporated through faith into the, the life of Jesus. And, and heaven and hell are real. Sadly, most people who say they're believers don't believe in, in hell anymore. Here's what hell is. Hell is a place where people get what they want. They did not want... The, the love of God in their lives. They did not want the leadership of God in their lives. They did not want to, to listen to God. And so God, in love, he, he, he doesn't force people to be with him. You know, when you force people to be with you, that's a federal offense. It's called kidnapping. God doesn't do that with people. He lets people choose. The, uh, you know, a shotgun wedding isn't a wedding. And so hell is us getting what we want, our independence, our, our you know, our our you know, death experience on earth that we're calling life, know it in the end, it turns out it really is a death experience. Everybody's not out. Whatever else you've made church, whatever else has offended you by somebody else and whatever else you don't like about the color of the chairs or, or this or that or what the pastor said about this, I don't care. I really don't. It's not going to be on your final exam. Well, I really didn't like the way this committee did that in my church. I think Jesus is going to look at you and say, really? Well, sister so-and-so said something that hurt my feelings. Hey, you remember those nails that went through my hands? That hurt. Um, I think you could get over that. Satan is a master distraction. He's the ultimate terrorist. He never stops attacking the church. Um, there, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al none of those people got anything on the enemy that we're up against every single day, 24 hours a day. But I don't worry about hell because Jesus, because heaven, because the mission that we're on. And I'm telling you, we need to refocus. I'm telling you that the best days of the church of the living God are ahead of us, if we will believe. 
I'm telling you that how it begins for us is how it began right here, that we become a witness of the resurrection. You all will be my witnesses. Every one of you, you're going to tell my story. You're going to allow your own story of your death to life experience, how Jesus has changed you, is changing you, and the hope you have of being forever changed. You're going to tell that story without embarrassment, with passion. You're going to run your your race, live your life. You're going to let your joy spill over with other people. Scripture uses all kinds of metaphors about this. It talks about the aroma of Christ. It says, to some we're the aroma of Christ and others the aroma of death. Remember in high school, uh, 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 a girl walks by that I had a little bit of a crush on, I'll admit, and, and she walks by, and I'm looking down, working on my paper, and she had this, this one perfume that was just like, it was like springtime. It was like, no, I'm distracted. <laughs> I'm sitting there writing, and, and, and then she walks by, and I don't see her, but it's like, oh, wow. That's what Jesus is to, to people who, who are at that turning point of faith. We are the aroma of Christ. We are the ambassadors, this, uh, Paul says, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And this is our focus. If Jesus has changed your life in joy, it's pretty easy to tell others about it when you, when you believe. And the early church believed enough that they were willing to give their lives for it. Dragged into arenas, um, separated from their kids, watching their kids sold into slavery. Uh, The scripture in Hebrews 11 has, uh, you know, a whole litany of ways that people, you know, of faith died for Jesus. And they all died willingly because they believed the power of God's resurrection love story. Do you? Do I? Does the church? Will we? Are we going to be, again, a bunch of weak-willed, distracted, defeated people sitting on the sidelines criticizing what other people are doing? Come on, church. It's time to rise. Jesus' message. Let me just close with a, a quick summary of what it is. It's a love story because of who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It is a death to life story by grace through faith. It is a love story where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love in Jeremiah chapter uh, 31. It's a humbling story because of who we are. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. In Romans 6.23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's humbling to, to think that, that I, I don't have it together and that I've got to, to change and, and I've got to lay down my own will and die to myself. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. Well, that's offensive. You know, tell me I don't know. Well, you don't. These realities require repentance on our part, a changing of our mind, our heart, our attitude, and a brokenness of our will that allows Jesus to live through us unhindered. So it's a love story. It's a humbling story. It's a resurrection story because God breathes life into death, and he can do that right now in you. It's what he always does. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25, 26 says. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives, listen to this, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus looks at him and says, do you believe this? 
Our lives are the answer. Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else because there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name, Jesus. A sense of urgency, a sense of focus, an unembarrassed boldness, a telling of a resurrection story. I don't have it all together. I've never pretended to anyone that I've had it all together. And when I'm telling Jesus' story, I'm, I'm not telling a story of arrival. I'm telling a story of, of birth and beginnings and journey. But it's always an inviting story because Jesus invites everyone in, not just the people who are special or look like this or have got that. And people who've been invited in live inviting lives. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's a, a translation of, of Revelation 3.20. It's called dynamic equivalence. And, and I've, I've read this verse all of my life. I've translated it a, a bunch of times from, from Greek. But I've, I'm looking at it again. And, and here is a, a faithful dynamic equivalence of Revelation 3.20. Idu, behold, look, notice, pay attention. Jesus is saying, I want you to realize that I'm right here at the entrance to your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm trying to get your attention to everyone here, believer or unbeliever, to the church that needs to wake up post-COVID. God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention. This verse is written to, to the church. If you'll listen to me, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if you'll listen to me and unlock your life, I'll come inside of you and we will feast together and I will be with you always and you will be with me forever. That's the invitation of God today. So I just want to ask you, do you have a resurrection story? Are you born again? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? There's a card in, in your seat that, that you can you can fill in and, and just let us know and we will have a conversation about it and and I promise you it'll be a you know from someone who's not pushy you can ask a believer around you and and they will tell you how you can come to to know Jesus Christ you can stay and we will we'll talk with you all you have to do is is let us know of your desire and and the rest will be forever history have you ever let Jesus joyfully change your life? Are you letting Jesus change your life right now? And if so, where's your joy? And how's your inviting life going? Because, Guys, I just want to say to you that I truly, truly, truly am excited about, about the days to come because of the days that have already been. I'm excited about where we're going because of what I've seen in the Holy Scriptures and the promises that we have to live on. And we must become witnesses of the resurrection. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. And in these next few moments, I'm going to ask you to have an open conversation with God, an honest conversation. And answer the question, do you realize that Jesus is right here at the entrance to your life? Do you realize in your circumstances, in your pain, that Jesus is trying to get your attention? And are you willing to listen and unlock your life right now to do and be the will of God. God's hearing your prayers in these moments.